0: Coming up on today's show, a new PlayStation update has people grabbing their pitchforks. I got hands on them with Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Spider-Cat is a thing. Everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I am Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Christine Steimer. Hello, hello, and Brittany brombacher is here.
1: Hello. <laughs> I try. I try to mimic so, Steimer's very
2: faint. I know it I know, wasn't as good. You like to? you yeah, yeah, like I to, uh, well, I want so, to say copy, but that's not well, a nice no, no, one, you're such a
1: trendsetter. You know, I got, I got to like do what Steimer. This
2: pay tribute to me.
1: There I we go. Oh, I really do. Yeah, it really um, an homage to yeah. your
0: wifey. It's nice. It's sweet. See, yeah, Samesies. Oh, okay. Now get oh. a, just get a room, okay? NPC2. If you're gonna, okay. I, if Stop I get air a kisses two, then I'm into it. I'm into <laughs> it. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Whether it's your first episode or your 198th episode of What's Good Games, we're glad that you are here. We've got a great show lined up for you today. But before we get into that, I do want to say thank you and shout out to October's Patreon producers, Chewy's Godson, Californicated, Justin Foshi, Punctified, Ferris Sate, Mohammed, Mohammed, Marcus Brown, Alex Rogopoulos, and David Icolucci. Thank you for supporting our voices. And welcome to our Patreon community, Aaron Dwight and Richard Sanson. Don't forget, you guys can be part of our community and be part of the show at patreon.com slash what's good games. We have a variety of membership tiers to choose from, including one where you can get the show ad-free. Brittany, I believe we have some new podcast reviewers.
1: We do. We're a Muppet today. We have Poncho Patches, Taylor Mish, and Web-Headed Hero.
0: I'm into the Muppet voice. I like Muppet Brittany. Thanks.
1: I don't know why I I started off with that. It's actually quite obnoxious. Thank you. God, Steimer. Man. This distance (laughs) is... We're just
0: flirting real
2: hard. We are. I know. The tension
1: (laughs) is real. The tension is real, but that's okay. We'll be professional about it. Um, Thank you so much for leaving reviews on these platforms. They really help us out. They help people discover our show. And that is very good. So thanks. Sorry, I'm all sexually like frustrated now. Oh know. Yeah, I mean, goddamn, girl. We're At least you have a husband. And, yeah, that's but true. It's not you. That's true.
2: That's true. But like, who is literally no nobody? You are one of a kind.
0: Hey, my mom thinks I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> we think you're special too. I know. Great. Let's get into the news. Our first story today is once again about PlayStation. I anticipate that probably for the next couple of weeks, our headline story will either have the word Xbox or PlayStation in it. Just a hunch. Now, this one is not what you think, though, because this isn't focusing on the PS5, but rather an update that was pushed to the PS4. Brittany, would you like to read the details?
1: I would love that more than anything else in the world. So the title is PS4 users agree to their voices being recorded for moderation by using party chat. This comes from GameRant. So earlier Wednesday, Sony released PlayStation 4 update 8.0. PS4 update 8.0 unifies the party and messages system, adds new avatars for players to customize their profiles with, gives players the option to mute all mics from the quick menu, adds more parental control options, enhances the two-step verification, updates the remote play app, and more. There's a lot going on in this update. But unfortunately, it appears as though the PS4 system is currently causing a slew of issues with players reporting difficulty using the party chat system at all, as well as connecting to online multiplayer games. However, there is one particular issue fans are having an issue with. And fans have noticed that upon downloading PS4 update 8.0, they were greeted by a message telling them that voice chats can now be recorded and subject to moderation. Not only that, but anyone that uses the PS4 party chat system has to agree to their voice being recorded. Sony did not make any mention of this in its blog post that detailed PS4 update 8.0, and they updated it later, which we'll read in a second, which has further upset fans. However, it should be noted that Sony has made mention of monitoring and recording PS4 voice chat features in the terms of service since the PS4 launched. So then Sony heard all the hubbub, and they uh, they updated their blog post to include the following update. Following this update, users are seeing a notification about party safety and that voice chats and parties may be recorded. Voice chat recording for moderation is a feature that will be available on PS5 when it launches and will enable users to record their voice chats on PS5 and submit them for moderation review. The pop-up you're seeing on PS4 right now is to let you know that when you participate in a chat with a PS5 user post-launch, they may submit those recordings from their PlayStation 5 console to Sony Interactive Entertainment. Whoa. This
0: is such a weird feature to roll out. When Steimer and I were looking at this story before we started recording tonight, we were like, why would you need moderation services for party chats? You would need moderation services for in-game chats when you're potentially having voice interactions with people you don't know. You have to invite somebody to a party chat or you have to keep your parties open, which is something you're doing by choice. But generally speaking, somebody has to be on your friends list in order for them to join a PS4 party chat regardless. So I don't know why that they think that this is a good thing for safety and moderation. Maybe I'm missing something. I mean, there are obviously situations where it could occur, but
2: I just feel like they are more few and far between than something like an in-game a chat system that is designed to be used with a lot of people here that are coming in and out of it. Uh, party chat was just, I mean, when you read, when you read the first part before the second, I was like, Oh, is this for moderation? And you were like, yes. Mm-hmm, um, and I was like, okay. And then I thought about it for a minute. I was like, but it's, par- but it's party chat. So am I moderating my friends? Cause like I, this just feels like this will be used to grief even friends i think like i could see a bunch of people getting together and like oh let's just get a party shot it'll be fun whatever and then later being like oh it's all beat up on tommy everybody submit his whatever (laughs) for moderation like i just worry about them actually being able to sort through the slew of false reports they might end up getting just because people are silly and
1: like yeah. To do so patron bang pow says please have a discussion on the playstation 8 update we are this has been a huge debate with my friends all day about who, how group chats and messaging have been combined and are messed up They implemented features that turn communication into a garbage truck on fire blah 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 and then we also got um i don't see it in here but i thought i put it in here a question from someone who was like do you think this is okay is this allowed should this be okay
2: I mean it's definitely allowed. It's a it's yeah. their platform as we've talked about before like they, Correct. Can, they can do what yeah. They want and like you as the user choose whether or not to opt into that. And even for this like you can still have a PlayStation and just like not use the party chat. You could use Discord. You can use well, Discord.
0: <laughs>
1: like um,
0: <laughs> but I mean I guess I also There's like WhatsApp and LINE app true. and a bunch of other messaging services, but obviously Discord is a really popular one that's grown Yeah, especially this year during the pandemic. But I'm with you, Steimer, that they get to make the rules on their own platform. I just wish they would have given people a little bit more notice for this. I think the reason why I had a little bit of a red flag go up is because in PlayStation's official notice, they say these recordings will be used for only safety and moderation purposes by PlayStation safety. But I believe we all can recall that PlayStation got famously hacked where over seventy million accounts were compromised. So, can we really trust what PlayStation is going to be doing with these voice recordings? And are they going to be recording only when people submit for moderation, or are they going to be recording in the background? We've actually heard lots of other apps that do voice um, voice recording for voice recognition. Your Alexas, Series etc. that are picking up recordings in the background and then it's all it takes is one miscreant at a company to do the wrong thing and compromise everybody's privacy and it's a concern that consumers have with these services and it's just unfortunate because it just feels so unnecessary. It's like there's nothing...
1: Oh, go ahead, Brett. Okay, thanks. I'd say, yeah, it feels like these days you just can't have anything in your house without worrying that it's recording you or picking up your voice, right? Whether it's like you're on Discord or Slack, I'm always worried that my mic is hot or my Alexa downstairs is like recording something I'm going to say or accidentally call someone or now it's the PlayStation thing. It's yeah. And like you ladies said, they can do what they want. It's their platform. Um, But it's a thing. And I guess I just don't. I don't want to be like the negative Nancy because I feel like that's not my role. But why, yeah, why are you doing party chat unless this is you trying to be like, we're trying to do the right thing, but we know if we did in-game chat, it would be way too much of a headache and we can't tolerate that headache, so therefore we're just going to put this nice PR beat out. But then again, they're not touting it like a PR beat, so maybe that's not the case.
2: So the it, thing that they, the, the, reading this thing a little more closely now, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that immediately popped in my head because I know that this has been happening with a lot of other large online platforms Um, This might be a thing they're doing in order to help slash uh, circumvent uh, issues with child grooming is something that I could see this being for. So trying to prevent predators from being able to use party chat on their platform. Could be a reason why they're doing this. Mm, I was going to point. mention
0: that PlayStation got in hot water the in the European territories for being a safe haven for terrorist groups to chat with each other on PlayStation messages and PlayStation parties. And that was something that they had to deal with as well. So that could also be part of the picture. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think about the child grooming aspect. This probably is legally motivated where they're looking to just yeah. cover their asses yes. for their platform. But it just feels like... Once again, <laughs> the bad apples are just ruining the barrel for everybody. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, I will say, though, like, maybe this is
2: just me being complacent to what what inevitably the future will be like if you do have an Alexa in your house or whatever or anything like all those things are recording you. <laughs> and like people just I some they get mad and then it's kind of like a whatever. Yeah, like, I feel like then the convenience becomes so
0: much that it doesn't really it, like
1: it was offsets
0: like, it. Yeah, it was like the Xbox one features where it, the microphone was always open listening for Xbox on. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <Right? X-French. No. laughs> I'm with you Simmer I'll, I'll wiggle my my stick at it, but I'm not going to get rid of it because my Alexa is way, way, way too convenient. And if she wants to listen to me talk about weird, strange things, that's fine. You do you Baby girl, but I'm happy you brought up the child grooming thing because that is a really good point. That's and weird, I know that sounds, sentence. I know I was saying, and I'm like, you know what, this is gonna sound really bad, but hopefully, I can clarify my point here. Uh, because I have a friend and she has a seven year old and playing Fortnite and whatnot. And one day she decided to log on to his PlayStation account and found out that he had about four or five different friends that she didn't know because she was monitoring, but she didn't for a hot minute. And they were all adult men that he had met while playing and he added them as a friend and he didn't think anything of it. So I think you're right. Like thinking outside of the box is good when mm-hmm. it comes to this. Because, yeah, I think, like you said, legally motivated. Who knows what kind of conversations are going on during this party chat. And I guess, it, it, you know, then it comes down to who's actually going to submit this. Like the grown the ass men are going to do it that are. Praying on these kids. Anyway.
2: No, but they'll have the recordings for if a parent if does actually. Were to if, go it's on. like, hey, yeah. you know, something seems off about what's going on with my child. Then they can actually go back through, pull records, and like make yeah. more of a case. Whereas if you don't have that, you're really kind of screwed. Like you can't you can't prove anything. So
0: that means then that it has to be recording all the time, right? I wonder like how far back they're keeping recording logs, and do you have to make a report in that? on that day, in that session? Unclear. Or can you make a report afterwards? Because if that's the case, then they would need to be keeping these logs for at least a couple of weeks, if not a couple of months. So many questions. Yeah. (laughs) All related around people being assholes.
2: (laughs) Definitely true. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely easy ways also to, even even if it's not a a pervy way of scamming kids, Like you can definitely scam kids out of money, out of whatever. True. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of different ways to... To like manipulate to be people. a dick,
1: <sighs> to be a yes. dick. Oh, that's another way of saying thanks it. thanks for ruining for us, uh, you dicks, <laughs> <laughs> dicks.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's really what it is. I imagine that's what it is designed for. Although yes, it can feel a little bit um, heavy-handed in certain ways, and we don't exactly know how it'll be implemented. So it's it's a, a yeah. bit of a, a scratch a head scratcher. Yeah, in terms of that.
0: Yeah, indeed. But that was just one of the issues that people had mentioned. I haven't dived into this new update, so I don't have full thoughts on what they've changed with the communication features, but I do see that, you know, Zhang Pow here has been saying that the way that they've changed the way PlayStation rolls out messages, putting group chats and messaging combined feels a little... Not intuitive, but I would have to see it for myself to actually see. But I don't typically do a lot of messaging inside the PlayStation app. I do use the Mm -hmm. app on my phone more than I use it on the console. But I'm telling you, Discord. Discord. (laughs) Discord. (laughs) Discord.gg slash what's good games. Solves all
1: your problems. (laughs) If you've
0: never been there, please come join us. We have a lovely group of people who love to chat about all kinds of things and not just video games. We have a sports channel. We have a channel to talk about TV and movies. We have a books channel. All kinds of stuff. So I think that Buka. looking for third-party options is probably going to be the best bet. Though I do admit that doing PS4 party check can be very convenient when you're, you know, slapping recruits yeah, together. Yeah, I've definitely done that. it before with Jaggy when we were playing Avengers. I was like, all right, let's just get in party chat. Let's go. Now we just need Discord to have an app on the new consoles, and then we'll be set. Woo! There you go. Yes, do it. Okay, moving on to the next story. Speaking of PlayStation, this one is at least a little bit more fun. Our next story is about Spider-Man Miles Morales. So Game Informer revealed their cover is a feature on Spider-Man Miles Morales, which is due out this year with the PS5 launch. And it had a cat in it. And the cat is so cute, you guys. It's very, very cute. Yeah. I mean, like this game
2: already was was
1: we were sold like, all in the bag for me. I was already oh, yeah. sold, yeah.
2: but now oh, oh look at cat and you should go watch this game Informer trailer if you oh. if you um wait, haven't seen it, it yet wait it, there it, was a
0: there was more, though. I thought there was more. I think It
2: just abruptly ends.
0: It's abruptly, <laughs> end, but look how um, cute!
2: But it really—it's an orange tabby in a oh God, with Woody. a sort of luchador mask
1: on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> luchador see Spider-Man. Can, I'm
0: trying to like. Oh, I'm trying to get it so that I can pause it. Pause I, it. Oh,
2: I pause, see what you did here there. Here we
1: go. And he like lurches out of the backpack, and he has a fun little finishing move. Is what it looks like. It is so dang yeah. cute. He does a little bitch slap scratch
2: for you. Um, which I think is pretty funny, but we were we were wondering whether or not Spider Cat was actually a thing, and I looked it up, and it looks like um, Spider Cat Earth nine nine nine. What? Um, but this cat is it's not the same cat, just to be clear. Oh. Uh, but yes, there was a vigilante cat mutation version of spider Spider Man, um, and and he's pretty, he's he's an all white cat though in the comics or whatever it was.
0: And it's interesting because in the Game Informer article, which of course you guys can read the full Spider Man coverage over at GameInformer.com, it says that the cat is also named Spider Man, which is kind of weird. Huh? And Why don't it, you just want to name your animals after yourself.
1: That's a very that, good point. Uh, yeah, right? I'm going to start calling Reb thing. Brittany. i be like, Brittany. Yeah, just do it. Sit.
2: <laughs> but but it actually, it would be more uh, if, you, if you started calling Reb Blonde Nerd. If you were oh. like, hey, Blonde Nerd. Because it's your brand name. That
1: is. Oh yeah, because
2: they're not calling the cat Peter Parker. Yeah.
1: Okay, that's right. That's right. Okay, I'll call him Blunder. Hey Blunder, sit. Speak. Eat your food, you bitch. Do you think
2: it's like a way for him to, um, to throw people off? Be like, yeah, my cat's named Spider Man. I clearly couldn't be Spider Man because
0: that'd be fucking weird, (laughs) right? (laughs) Maybe that is a funny concept. The idea of like, who Spider Man? This cat. Also, can we talk about the lighting effects on this gameplay trailer?
1: Oh, the cat. Yes, Kite. Oh, Super All oh, I can think of is all the fur that's leaving on that black suit. Oh, oh yeah. That's fine. Oh, yes. Oh, the cat's oh, name is... Oh, oh, look
2: at that. He's a friend. He's not his cat. Okay, so I guess he lives at this shop and
0: will just come with you sometimes. This has got to be a bodega, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. <sighs> Amazing. So I'm even more hyped than I already was for this game. This is very exciting. Fist bumps. I borrowed your cat. I brought it back. Miles like, people. I took good care of of A Spider Man cat. Amazing. Uh,
2: I love it. Yeah. All right. Also, well, that hoodie looks really comfortable that he's wearing in that. Wait, this hoodie? <laughs> yeah.
0: he's just It's like kind of got, got the nice rattiness to yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, it's like, it's yeah. lived in. You Could know, it's be really a bunch. soft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like they should sell that hoodie. Like, they faded. definitely should. Nice. Will yeah. they? Don't know. Probably not. Probably I not. Cat. Merch
2: takes a while to get going. They it's would true. have had to think about that one a while ago.
0: Well, it's I true. don't know. Marvel's merchandise team is pretty on top of it. But only time will tell. That's the story, everybody. Game Informer has the full details on it's the gameplay that was revealed. But as you guys know, the game is coming out soon. So head on over there if you want to check out more. Brittany, we yeah. have a story here about Sega. And I believe Sega. something Yakuza related. <clears>
1: oh, <throat> we do. I'm so excited. So excited. All right. So yeah, Sega is offering four Free PC games, including Yakuza Streets of Rage mashup. <laughs> okay, so this comes from Polygon. So Sega is celebrating its 60th birthday this year. That's why there's a Sonic the Hedgehog costume in Fall Guys, and why Steam has a raft of free games for you to pick up between Thursday and next Monday. The offerings include Streets of Kamarocho, which sounds like Streets of Rage using Yakuza characters. Kiru and Majima team up to team up to beat him up in a very well-rendered 16-bit tribute to both Sega franchises. It's free to download and keep, but only for, from October 17th to October 19th. Another highlight is Golden Axe, a clever title for the actual cancelled Golden Axe Reborn, which Sega Studios Australia was working on about a decade ago. Sega says on the game's Steam page that it may be janky, buggy, might be an artifact of its time, but it offers a unique glimpse into the prospect of a project that could have been. And this one is only available on October 18th. The other free offerings include Endless Zone, a blend of Amplitude Studios' Endless Universe with Sega's Ancient Fantasy Zone from the Arcade and Master System days. And this is a side-scrolling shoot-em-up that's available from October 16th to October 19th. There's Armor of Heroes, which is a top-down multiplayer tank battle that cribs on Relic Entertainment's long-running Company of Heroes series, available October 15th through the 19th. And then finally, Sega is offering Nights into Dreams over the next 60 days free to Steam users who link their accounts to their email addresses through Sega's official celebration page. Okay, cool. Listen, like, three of these announcements, uh, two of them, very, very exciting. Obviously, like, okay, then I'm just being biased. You might be very excited about Enluso and Armor of Heroes and Nights into Dreams. Don't get mad. Don't sue me. Uh, Streets of Camarocho this was, I was definitely not expecting this, so yeah, this is essentially a smash-up of Streets of Rage 2 and Yakuza, and it takes place, um, I don't want to worry about spoilers, because a lot of people are getting into the series now, essentially right around the time of Yakuza Kiwami, and so I don't think that's really going to have any bearing on this, I don't think we're going to get any new, like, in-depth look at what's Lore canon of what's actually happening during this game. But yeah, I mean, it looks so freaking cute. And you have Majima, you have Kiru, and there is a third player that right now, all we know about them is that they're just a question mark. My guess is that it's Ichiban to promote the upcoming Yakuza like a dragon, but probably won't be revealed officially until later. It just looks so good. And you can see all the background rendered like. Stardust, which is a really popular host club in the game where a lot of set pieces happen. And you get to see, like, the gate of Camarocho. I don't know. It just looks good. I love that it's free. But you only have a few days to pick it up. So you better do it. It's only on Go scene. Go
0: get it. So yeah. basically, if you're listening to the podcast late, it may be too late for you.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's
0: true. Yeah. Mm.
1: That's why you got to listen to our show, you know, the day it releases. Exactly. Get that you know? hot drop. Yeah.
0: Something else that... Bert mentioned as part of the story that I've, a lot of people in my timeline have been um talking about is this fall guys costume of Sonic as part of Sonic's anniversary also like or excuse me not Sonic's Sega's 60th I I did not realize that Sega was 60 years old Yeah man that's, Yeah I
2: what That made me old. feel very confused about my own age for a second you were
0: like, but wait, how old am I? No, I was literally like, but I'm not sixty.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> am I sixty? Video game. Maybe I am M's born. You're not. Maybe I said I'm trying, a wormhole. To, I'm I'm trying to, that- to get a little bit of here's a little bit of B roll. Okay. This was media tonic, oh of course God. the developers of Fall Guys playing. <laughs> um with some people from Sega. And like the I mean the costume's pretty cool. It, but it's cute. I like little chonk Sega or S-Sonic, Sonic rather. Yeah, he's got a little gut. He hasn't been running real fast, but once again, they're making this a crown buy. It looks like this has been my one like big gripe about Fall Guys and some of the and some of the really cool skins that they've been putting out is that they make them expensive in crowns, which you know are not easy to get. And you know, don't come at me with your get good comments. <laughs> there are people who spend. Hundreds and hundreds of hours playing Fall Guys, and just still can't get crowns at the rate that hey, can you, you would Can you not mean. buy crowns? No, you only get crowns by winning. They have DLC packs mm. that have specific costumes in them, like the fast food pack that I got, that has like the French fries and the hamburger and stuff. Oh, no, that you can buy fries. for real world money, but you can't buy you can't buy fame. You just gotta compete.
2: Can't buy money or love. You can buy. Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, Ooh, look much. at this thing. Little-
0: that's exactly. not what it is. What is it? You can't buy. I don't know. It doesn't. Can't
2: matter. buy me love. Well, yes, there's that. Although I would disagree. Uh, I think you can very much.
1: Buy Absolutely. Some I people mean, will happily take your money in exchange for giving you love. Some people are very easy <laughs> to manipulate. <So>
3: love. <laughs>
0: it's true. It, it is true. true. Sorry, I was. Uh, I was um, lingering on that far too long. That's
1: fine, girl. Let's. Let's move and,
0: on to well, our next story. I want
1: to. I want to give a shout out to Golden Axe, real quick. I think oh yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you guys have you played Golden Axe? I'm sure on the arcade machines at one point or another. I don't remember mm. well enough. Uh, I don't anyway. recall ever playing golden axe. Yeah, Arts. it's one of my favorite arcade games and I love that they're bringing Golden Axe back. I think it's just one level. Uh, but it's free and you can play it with friends. So I thought that was the other ex- the other announcement that I thought was pretty Are darn you saying cool.
0: you want to play something with us?
1: Don't take it too far, Probably Andrea. Not. Don't yeah, yeah Simer see Simur knows. Yeah. You know, like, give you an inch of a mile stuff like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Literally
2: I was shocked almost to death when we managed to play Gears that one day.
1: Oh, that was such a good time though. That was it fun. was good yeah
0: anyway. we did play Sea of Thieves together once
1: we did it was about a million years ago it yeah. was a and, million and years ago and Andrea and I have been playing a lot of games together because of Lights Off so there you go that's true, true. Uh, we'll talk
0: more about that during the break though
1: yeah See, let's get right. back to
0: the news but before we do that I want to let you know that this episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Me Undies. Britt do you want to read this one and I'll read the other two absolutely
1: so me undies me undies
2: Sorry,
1: be- I just realized you were- <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll start over <clears throat> me and believes comfort is about more than what's touching your skin it's about feeling comfortable in your skin you are beyond worthy and what you wear should inspire you to love the way you see yourself preach That's why in support of their ongoing initiative, MeUndies Gives, they've partnered with This Is My Brave, an organization that is working toward ending the stigma surrounding mental health through storytelling to encourage self-discovery and self-worth. MeUndies knows that our stories and our bodies are not one-size-fits-all, and yours is worth celebrating. Does your underwear make you feel confident and comfortable? Does it feel like you're being snuggled by a small army of puppies? No? Well then you need to consider your underwear game. How are me undies so soft, you might be wondering? It's because of their undies grow on trees. No, seriously. They're made from irresistibly soft, natural fibers sourced from beechwood trees and you know what natural fibers mean that their micromodal is not only super soft but breathable light and impossibly cozy that's some serious comfort and you're running out of time to get ready for spooky season with their new halloween prints like bloodsuckers scaredy cats and funny bones i need to check these out i've still Brittany, been living in all of they're my Christmas so cute
0: ones. the cat one very exciting.
1: Oh, I mean, I am have no problem rocking my Christmas onesies because, I mean, it's Christmas and hey, you know, I literally just
0: pulled my Christmas onesies out of their deep storage box because I transitioned my wardrobe over and I was like, ooh, I'm so excited. It's
1: for my that so MeUndies has a great offer for our listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. MeUndies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you're not satisfied with any product for any reason, they'll refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. That's MeUndies.com slash WGG. Our next
0: story is about... <laughs> Video games being affected by COVID. Wah, wah. So, this is not a super positive story, unfortunately. But we did still want to talk about it really quickly. Um, and this write up comes from gamesindustry.biz. Level five has virtually halted operations in North America. Nino Kuni and Yokai Watch developer Level 5 appears to have all but shuttered its North American operations. According to multiple sources familiar with the matter, both Level 5 International America and the company's spin-off office, Level 5 Abbey, began winding down operations in the middle of last year. Part of the company's Oh, excuse me began winding down operations in the middle of last year, part of which included laying off the majority of both offices' staff. Sources say that no clear reason for the layoffs was given, though those connected to Abby say that employees were given every indication that the studio would be closing down, with one or two employees remaining for a few more months to carry out essential functions throughout the process, while the company consolidated its businesses between the Japan office and international advertising and branding company, Dentsu. It's unclear what the future of Level 5 releases in North America will be. One source suggested that there are currently no concrete plans for any more Level 5 games to be released outside of Japan. That this, is really sad news. Yeah. This
1: fucking sucks. I love Level 5. I think they're, we've talked about this, their Nino Cooney Kuni games, Chicken Soup for the Soul. I really like their Dark Cloud series. There was also Professor Layton games which I know people love. Yeah, this is just a huge bummer. And it does raise the question of... Nino Kuni 3 was announced in June of last year. Does that mean we're not gonna get it over here? Sounds like it. Signs point to yes. I know. I didn't even think
0: about that.
1: Yeah. yeah. This is
0: an interesting question from Javin Mather from Patreon.com slash what's good gains. If you could choose any studio or company to partner with or acquire level five with no creative strings attached, who would it be? And the first person I thought
1: of was Atlas. Oh Atlas they yeah.
0: do such a great job publishing and distributing Japanese role-playing games in multiple territories, they seem like a really good fit, but maybe that would be too much competition for their existing slate. I don't know.
1: Alice would be yeah. good. Square Enix was another one that came to mind.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, maybe even Bandai Namco, because they have you know their little string of games like that. But... I think yeah. it would be
2: smart for Microsoft, only because yes, they need yes. to expand Xbox Game
0: Studios. their portfolio.
2: Bring out the checkbook,
1: Phil. Yeah, kind of. <laughs>
2: it, like It, it definitely <laughs> diversifies their portfolio um, of games that they would be able to publish. So.
1: I mean, listen, if no one's going to do it, THQ, we know you got the money. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> THQ! Oh, God, THQ knows.
0: Yes. They've got over it. 200 IPs already. Just just throw, throw it in the file. pile. In there.
2: Just yeah, throw it in there. Yeah,
1: another interesting... <laughs> but see, I
0: wouldn't want them because of that, though. I'm
1: I like, know.
2: I, I would like them to get the love and dedication that they deserve because uh, I do think Level 5 produces some great stuff.
1: I know. And then for our Yo-Kai Watch fans, a Western localization for Yo-Kai Watch 4 was announced in 2019, I believe. Um Industry.biz Rebecca Valentine kind of like deep dived into some of the games. And who knows what's going to happen to that, too. So, yeah, it's just a big, fat bummer deal. It's like really upsetting. And I haven't had the heart to tell my grandma yet because they are her favorite developer.
3: And oh, no. I know. Grandma.
1: I know. She's played neo Ninu- No Kuni, like the first one, I don't know how many times, literally thousands of hours into it. She's played it a lot. She, she loves to replay games. And I, she keeps asking about Dark Cloud 3. And obviously, like, we knew that wasn't going to happen. But now, like, for sure. I don't know. Just a bummer. pouring one out. Rip.
0: Well, speaking of developers partnering up or being acquired, our next story is about Rockstar Games buying Crackdown 2 developer Ruffian Games and rebranding them to Rockstar Dundee. Sure. dundee i just really wanted to say dundee in a weird dundee. way dundee.
1: dundee i'll take it from here dundee so this comes from the gamer oh my god what's happening okay so Rockstar now... I don't know. We went really Southern. I don't know. Okay. Rockstar now owns Ruffian Games as ha- and has rebranded the studio as Rockstar Dundee. Ruffian has been working with Rockstar since last year, assisting in the development of Rockstar's titles. Quote, we are thrilled to have Ruffian join the Rockstar Games family, says Sam Hauser, Rockstar Games founder. The Ruffian team are a talented addition to Rockstar's global studios, and we look forward to working together on future projects. Ruffian Games will still be headed up by its founders, Gary Liddon and Billy Thompson. Thompson, who are taking on the roles of co-studio directors at what's now called Rockstar Dundee.
2: Cool. I am sad by this, only because it means we will never get another Crackdown.
0: Oh. But this isn't the same studio that worked on Me- Crackdown 3, yeah. though. Oh, that's right.
2: true.
0: Oh, Crackdown 2, my brain... My
2: brain's a little mushy today, so I apologize. But
0: if we never get another Crackdown game, which was, to be clear, developed by Sumo Digital, is that such a bad thing? Well, how dare you? Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Were you I singing will the say, praises of Crackdown? I liked I Crackdown. It? I
2: actually beat that game, which I don't <laughs> beat games anymore, I feel like.
0: That's uh, fair. That's a fair point. That is high praise from Steimer.
2: Yeah. Um, my brain. Sorry, my brain is on struggle wagon today.
0: Um...
1: I think you had probably but it, Since these yeah.
0: you were
2: saying you cracked down two, my brain went to, my brain automatically put it as crackdown three. Um, crackdown Two, I will say, the worst of the crackdowns. So actually oh. you can have them Rockstar. Oh <laughs>
1: What's the best crackdown?
2: <laughs> the first one. Oh okay. but
1: I also I think three did a pretty
2: good job of recapturing what I really liked about the first game though. mm
1: So you want to keep like, the Delicious
2: delicious orbs. Delicious orbs.
1: You, you want mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna give it one more shot to get crackdown Orb four, right? Orb Soup. Orb soup. Fair enough. Hmm.
0: Well, I think it's a good day when a very wealthy publisher like Rockstar can take more developers under their financial protection. (laughs) Yeah. In the time of the pandemic when it's really uncertain for a lot of people across many different industries around the world. And hopefully, you know, we'll see some cool stuff from them. So we'll keep an eye on you. Rockstar Dundee. Dundee. And now, yet another update in the ongoing legal battle between Apple and Epic Games. Uh, So this update comes from IGN. Last Friday, Judge Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers has granted Epic's injunction preventing Apple from removing Epic's developer account and denying iOS developers access to the Unreal Engine. Hooray! However, Mm -hmm. Gonzalez-Rogers also ruled that Apple is allowed to keep it off the App Store. Citing the magnitude of the case, the judge presiding over the ongoing Apple versus Epic Legal legal case has stopped Apple from terminating Epic's developer account, which would prevent the company from releasing updates obviously for Unreal Engine on iOS. But Fortnite is going to remain banned on iOS. A court date has been scheduled for summer 2021, (laughs) which will hopefully have an outcome for the trial. Sorry, uh, Epic, but you kind of (laughs) screwed the pooch on that one. They knew what they were getting into. They've been in plenty of legal Uh, battles before. And I said at the beginning of all this that this was going to be a very slow process. Oh, yeah. Our legal system not Not known for being very fast. No. Oh,
1: Government boy. just moves
0: slow in general, but true. Hey. This type of law specifically moves egregiously slow. It's a bummer for everybody who was playing Fortnite on iOS devices, of which there were millions of people. But Epic knew that before they decided to engage to the way throw the, down the way they did. They could uh, have had, you know, some terse conversations about it with Apple and instead they're like, "Oh yeah, fuck you Apple. We're going to make a 1984 spoof and then they make a bunch of
2: jokes and throw them in your face." They did like the challenge <laughs> I slap you thing
0: from back in the day. They're like, "I do a yes." What? And then, well, like with with the
2: glove with when
1: the you glove. backhand somebody with yeah, it?
0: Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like like gentlemen used to do. Yes. Mm-hmm, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: A good old gentleman's duel. <laughs> I slap you with my riding glove. I shall Uh, take thee to court. (laughs) Mm,
1: You know, I would say at least it's like job security. We'll have something to report on at least through summer twenty twenty (laughs) one. Now, it's true.
0: That's true. That's
1: a bleak, a bleak thought.
0: (laughs) In case you missed it, rapper Logic bought a Pokemon card worth over two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. This also comes from IGN. The proud owner of a first edition holographic Charizard Pokemon card, which he purchased for a staggering price of two hundred twenty thousand five hundred and seventy four dollars to be exact. It's
1: absolutely. Is that the one you have? You have something. I have something very similar. So he has a first edition Charizard Shadowless um, PSA 10. We Jason and I have a PSA nine. So mm. it's just, like, one step below. But it is just absolutely bonkers.
0: But, like, how much does that knock the price down? Yeah, <laughs> so, like, what's, what's the 9 worth versus the 10? And is yours in mint condition, or have you been, like, mint. you know?
1: No, we it, it's in mint. So this was... You no, know, it's
0: in a vault somewhere,
2: hermetically yeah, sealed yeah, off. hermetically sealed.
1: It, it's just, this has, like, been crazy. And I wasn't going to talk about it, because I don't want to seem like I'm humble-breaking here. But I just can't believe. So... Logic also bought a $23,000 sealed box of Pokemon cards. um, Base edition, sealed pack. I have one of those boxes right behind me. I had no fucking clue that those, it's like up there. You can't really see it.
0: Oh, hold on. Maybe I can move your video down. Oh yeah, okay, yeah.
1: Er, Yeah, that's it right there. That thing, that thing. Wait, he bought that for how much? $23,000. Do you want to like hit him up on Twitter and see if he wants to buy yours? I don't know I feel like I need to lock this thing in a fire can you be can you be willing to part with it (laughs) fuck Or
2: are you like waiting to see if that stock price continues to rise?
1: Oh God, I don't know. So because he also talks about this, he said, "When I was a kid, I absolutely loved Pokemon, but couldn't afford the cards. I remember even trying to trade food stamps for theirs. And now, as an adult who has saved every penny, has been able to enjoy something. And oh, Now I've been able to enjoy something that I've loved since childhood. Now as a grown man, it's like buying back a piece of something I could never have. It's not about the material; it's about the experience. So that's kind of like with me nice. and that hmm. box of Pokemon cards. I'm like, oh God, I always want." wanted a box set when I was younger. And then, uh, you know, you get older and you do stupid things with your money. Same with the Charizard. But, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. I feel like I need to stick that thing in a fucking fireproof safe. And I need to stick that PSA 9 Charizard in a fireproof safe. And then, like, there's my retirement. You know? Granted, I think yeah, the bubble's going to pop. I don't think they're going to be worth that much for that much longer. But it's kind of crazy right now. You know? It's interesting because with collectibles, it's always hard to predict how they're going to
0: be valued In the future, because when we talk about literally anything, services, goods, they're only worth as much as somebody is willing to pay for them. Mm. And, you know, when it comes to art, this is always like a hotly debated thing, too. People being like, why is some paint on a canvas worth like a million dollars? Right. And it's like because somebody thinks it's worth that much for them to have it. Right. Like value is perception. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. unless we're talking about solid gold nuggets I mean, <laughs> it's basically just perception of value right yeah yeah and so is Pokemon and the you know origins of Pokemon going to be as valuable 20 years from today are people going to want to have that very tactile analog experience that we had like pre internet <laughs> are we going to be in such a cyberpunk world that people will pay even more money to have those kinds of physical goods Time will tell. It's or are they going to be say. like, I don't want that trash. Burn it. I know. You know? The earth is dying. We need fuel. <laughs> Throw it <laughs> in the fire. Don't think that's the kind of fuel that would help the earth. <laughs> but, I don't know um, what kind of apocalypse we're going to be in in 20 years, time. That's timer.
1: fair. I that's think hard we're hard all going to gonna burn
0: up anyway. So like.
1: And we will no. in billions of years. <laughs> the sun's going to consume the earth and then we're all going to die. But, you know, we don't have to worry about that. We'll I be mean, we'll long be long dead
2: long before that. What an yeah.
1: uplifting thought. But no, Andrew, that's a good point because I mean, Pokemon's ever going away, but just because the games continue to live on and the cards continue to live on, is that going to impact, like, the very, very first base set? Like, to me, like, I don't know why anyone would pay that much money for that kind of thing,
0: but... Yeah, I mean, it's like baseball cards. Yeah. I recently went through my dad's box of baseball cards. No, it wasn't my dad's. He does have a box of baseball cards. Oh, it was John's. John had a bunch of books of baseball cards that he put together as a kid, like, all in, like, the little plastic fo- folders and stuff, And his parents had been hanging on to it because they're like, oh, we figured you'd want them because maybe you can sell them. And after several hours of searching collector sites, eBay, et cetera, I was like between like these like maybe four or five hundred cards, you maybe have like a thousand dollars worth of cards. So like, but do you want to go through all of the work to sell them to get that money? That's on you, you know, because like all it takes is one card and that one card, as we have now discovered, could be worth $220,574. Oh my God, why? Which is wild, but. <sighs> Anywho. Yeah. There's apparently a way to play Doom Eternal on your fridge. Yep. <laughs> is this like the Skyrim thing? No. Uh, so so I, I pulled this. Oh, oh my God, oh, That's scared the bejesus out of That's me. That's me. I don't know why this is not muted. <laughs> Sorry, his timer course, um, I was like, there's someone in my mind what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a, a video that Brittany found that is going around Instagram of somebody playing Doom Eternal on their samsung fridge with an xbox controller and i'm like wait what
1: <laughs> yeah apparently what is he side loaded that's a cool term people use the android version of the xbox game pass onto his samsung smart tv and if you go to his instagram account which is it's something 420 i don't remember that vaping with twisted 420 I mean, He has of a, course of a, course a, so <laughs> fucking good There's other games showing on there. He's showing, um, yeah, it's crazy. But I just thought that was kind of funny. It's like, well, the future is here, ladies and gentlemen. You want to stand up and play something on your TV while you're waiting for your coffee to brew? I don't know why you wouldn't use your phone. But if you want to use your TV, go on with your bad self. No one's stopping you. Exactly. I mean,
0: this is also from Bethesda, who put Skyrim on an Alexa. I really like that, that.
1: actually. Skyrim on Alexa was fun. I sat there with my glass of whiskey and LARPed for a good 30 minutes.
0: And then you're like, okay, this, yeah. the shininess of this yeah. is wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's going to do it for the news for this week. When we come back, we're going to be talking about my uh, very long hands-on with Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And Brittany has put many more hours into Baldur's Gate 3. Stick with us. We'll be right back. But first, some announcements. As we alluded to both last week and at the top of the show, Lights Off season is here. We've been having a lot of fun at twitch.tv slash what's good games every Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. This week, we were joined by at Doc Brooke. So shout out to Brooke for being part of our poltergeist. I should just say spirit hunting crew because poltergeist is just one type. She kept us saying we're looking for in Phasmophobia take Uh, two.
1: She kept us sane, Andrea. She really did. I was proud of us. We need her back.
0: Yeah. Having an additional person definitely brought the fear factor down a little bit, and I think having a fourth person would make it even a -hmm. little bit more you know calming but of course like i don't know why those freaking ghosts just want
1: to kill me all the time i, I died again <laughs> multiple so, times it's so funny though because i'll be closer to the ghost but they just shamble right past me and go after you they're like we want her the one with the red hair and then they like c- I got ghost bait around my neck or yeah, something. yeah then they break your neck and that's it Ugh, i still haven't died in that game Well, congratulations. You can
0: watch the madness at twitch.tv slash what's good games. Don't forget we are raising money for our friends at Able Gamers. We've got a goal of 5,000 and we are over the halfway point at $2,600. So thank you to everybody who's donated so far and you guys can join our effort by hitting the donate command in our twitch chat window which will pull up all of the links that you need to know and then on monday's episode of what's good games live on october 19th we're going to be joined by very special guest chelsea blasco of iron galaxy so i've been friends with chelsea for a couple of years now and she is an amazing lady who is the chief operating officer of iron galaxy and if you don't know who that company is all I have to say is dive kick. Want to learn more? Join us Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific time on Twitch. Or look for the episode in the pod. Plus, Brittany, it's almost time for our Patreon streams.
1: Yo, Andrea, I just had a brilliant idea for an after-hours stream. You know, if Are it's, you... Are you going to be us? Yeah, yeah. You're going to be part of those streams, aren't you? You're playing Fast and Phobia. It's on. Oh,
0: okay. oh, yes. Oh. We, well, we got to do something spooky because it's all going down Ooh. on Saturday, October 24th. Yeah. And I will entice Steimer with candy corn related things. And potentially, maybe that's the day that you get your ice cream cake. Maybe. We've got to monitor drink. a little bit. We'll go for a run first. It'll be Okay, sad. great. Yeah. I probably will. It'll be good.
1: <laughs> Yay! It's going to happen. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> and that's it for announcements. Welcome back everybody it's the second segment of the what's good games podcast and this is where we talk about what we've been playing but before we get to that I want to let you know that this segment is brought to you by GameStop so we know that GameStop has been very popular over the last couple of weeks with all the pre-order madness but did you know they're kicking off the holiday shopping season just a little bit early because pandemic shipping is the thing which we have all experienced And they're doing it by launching their popular Pro Day sale and expanding it to four days. Power Up Rewards Pro members can save more than $1,000 in exclusive deals between October 15th and 16th, and GameStop will then open the Pro Day sales to all customers, including non-Power Up Rewards Pro members on October 17th and 18th, allowing them the same opportunity to save on more than $1,000 in exclusive deals ranging from video games to their favorite pop culture merchandise, board games, and more. You can get a jump on your holiday shopping by taking advantage of some of these deals by shopping from the comfort of your home at GameStop.com or by visiting the newly redesigned GameStop mobile app, which offers more personalized experiences, digital wallet capabilities, and a gaming news hub and much more. Shoppers can take advantage of GameStop's buy online, pick it up in store, or ship from store options to give you guys the options that you need. You can also have your purchase delivered to your home by accessing GameStop's new same-day delivery service available in select areas. They're making it easier for customers to purchase their upcoming holiday gifts by signing up for one of their new flexible payment options, the GameStop credit card, buy now, pay later service, and a soon-to-be-offered rent-to-own service. To sign up and learn more details about GameStop's PowerUp Rewards Pro Membership Program, you guys gotta go to GameStop.com slash Rewards. But I did want to let you guys know about some of the specific deals that you can be on the lookout for on these Pro Day deals, including amazing games like Mortal Kombat 11 with Aftermath DLC for just $39.99. Final Fantasy 7, one of our favorite games of the year, is $38.99. Resident Evil 3, $34.99. Plus, they've got fun collectibles, which make for great stocking stuffers, or, you know, just for decor for the back of your Zoom meetings. You can get buy two, get one free on all Funko Pop figures. That is a great deal. Plus, 30% off all clearance statues, 25% off trading cards and board games. If you guys want to check out all of the deals that are happening of course you've got to go to gamestop.com and how to sign up for the power up rewards pro membership gamestop.com slash power up rewards the first game that i want to talk about today is assassin's creed valhalla so i had the opportunity to play assassin's creed a little while ago we talked about it here on the show and when ubisoft reached out about playing it one more time i'm gonna be honest i turned them down i said you know what we're a month from launch I know I'm gonna have to play this game again. I got a lot of hands on the first time. I don't think that I want to keep playing, but because Patreon producer California Cated convinced me slash bribed me to get back into Odyssey, <laughs> literally, California Cated gifted some amazing subs to our Twitch community. Oh, so okay. thank you, California Catedral. Very, very for generous your gift. bribe, thank you. Um and I've been playing. I've been playing a lot. I've been trying to mad dash my way to the finish. As I mentioned last week, I've spent an egregious amount of money on mm-hmm. DLC and microtransactions trying to get all the time savers I can. And I've put an additional almost 30 hours into the game and I Holy still don't shit. feel like I'm close to finishing. I'm like, How? and I'm trying to just mainline and I'm like, I don't know what, what I'm doing wrong. Um, <laughs> but I say this because it inspired me to go back to Ubisoft and say, hey, actually... Now that I've had this nice refresher on Assassin's Creed, I want to actually see if I can play some Valhalla. Could you still fit me into your schedule? And they very graciously said, we can fit you into the schedule, but we can't do your local gameplay capture. So all of the B-roll that I'm going to show you today is just the B-roll and the gameplay footage that has been provided by Ubisoft. It's not me playing. You'll notice this mostly because the Ivor, no, (laughs) Avor, in the gameplay is, a blonde male where I made my Eivor a badass lady viking with a red braid and some bitch and face tattoos. As you yeah. do. So, because you can customize your tattoos and your hair uh, for your um, selection. You can also pick to have it be a random role and let the animist decide what your gender will be. So, Let's talk about this game. So a lot of people wrote in and asked questions about this, both on Twitter and on Patreon. The first question comes from Mitch Crasson. Simple question for Valhalla. Does it feel more similar to Origins or to Odyssey in the systems? It absolutely feels much more like Odyssey than Origins. Because I think Origins was really Ubisoft's kind of, dipping their toes into the RPG waters, changing up the formula that we saw with games like Syndicate and Unity and obviously all the games that came before. It really saying we want to expand the depth of the progression in this game and give players something to chase. And Odyssey really amped that up in a very big way by almost overcorrecting mm-hmm. by the amount of gear and content that you can get. It's hard to tell, even with my hands-on session, just how deep the RPG systems will go, but it's clear that this feels a lot like Assassin's Creed Odyssey in the sense of there's lots of different kinds of gear, there's lots of different people to interact with and the settlements feature which was the big new thing that they showed really makes it feel a little bit more like an rpg than it ever has before so i'm gonna pull up um some settlement footage here to show you guys and i apologize if you see A screen that says edit this b-roll um i haven't previewed this entire clip but hopefully uh we won't hit those screens but so the settlement is a big thing this time around right and the settlement is really designed to ground you in a sense of community because the vikings were all about their tribe their clan right they're trying to stick together, create the sense of family, but they're out of resources in their homeland of Norway, and so they have to expand down into England if they want to survive, because they just need more help to expand. And... What we're seeing now on screen, if you guys are watching at What's Good Games, or excuse me, YouTube.com slash What's Good Games, is a little bit of the settlement gameplay. So the, one of the first things that y- that I got to do in my playthrough was pick my Yom's Viking. And that was my second in command on my ship, which I think is kind of a, a neat idea. Essentially, they're like your right hand, you know, man or woman, and you get to customize them. You can use random rolls if you want. And, or you can, you know, pick, and then you get to choose what their armor looks like. Essentially, all of the pieces of gear that you pick up are pieces of gear that you can equip on your Yamza Viking. They're essentially like a party member. Oh, that That's was cool. cool. Which is something very different for Assassin's Creed. Yeah. And what I liked about that is because it makes it feel like you have a little bit more you know, invested in the story than you maybe did in previous ones. I think that was one of the things that I had a lot of challenge with in some of the previous Assassin's Creeds. is that a lot of the story fe- felt a little bit flighty doesn't quite seem like the right word, but it felt like it didn't stick in a way that I felt was meaningful. Really the modern day and the first civilization stuff is the stuff that really stuck. But some of these more smaller stories within each individual campaign, because obviously the assassin has changed many times with the exception of of Ezio, um, it didn't really feel like they had really powerful narratives. And so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that's going to change in the way that they've really implemented these RPG systems this time around. So one of the other things that you can do when you are inside your settlement is to go to the blacksmith. So you're going to have all of these different vendors, right? And each of these different vendors are going to be upgradable. So they're gonna send you on missions and quests to get them items to upgrade their shop and then upgrading each of these individual shops are going to give you specific bonuses tied to that shop. Now, I didn't get a real sense of just how impactful those bonuses are. There was something called a feast buff that several Mm. of the shops in the settlement had and when I asked them to explain it to me, they were very vague about it. And I was like, "Huh, that's weird." Considering it was so Ubisofts. close to launch, yeah, um, I'm okay. not sure why they did that. But on screen, we're seeing some of the customization options that are returning. Obviously, you get to customize your longship, much like you did in previous Assassin's Creeds. And something that I tweeted about earlier was that, in addition to your longship. And you know, customizing your horse this time around, you get to customize your bird friend too. Oh, oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy. Oh, boy! oh boy! So this was very exciting because the bird this time around is a raven, playing into Odin's Norse raven. mythology. Yeah. Exactly. And you get to have different skins that you can put on your ravens when you're flying around. You can have a customized look for your bird, which I thought Jillian
1: was really nice Jillian Benoit has a question about the bird friend. I yes, was reading go ahead. They, I was reading that they took the surveying hawk out of Valhalla, or at least limited your use. Do you think that was better or worse? Do you think it made you more tactical?
0: I'm really glad that Jillian wrote in and asked this question because it's something that I have been pretty conflicted about. So I've got a little bit of stealth gameplay here for you guys if you want to check it out. And what I thought was really interesting was that they definitely, it felt different, right? Like using Icaros. I really love that feature of being able to tag all of the enemies, find where all of the different treasures are, where the hidden entrances are, and really kind of get a full picture, especially if you're going into a really large or heavily fortified fort or castle or something. like You need to know like where everybody is. And the way that they're doing the tagging now is that essentially it doesn't exist because they want to encourage more exploration. And I do not like it. Mm. I thought that I was going to be okay with it, but maybe I just need to practice with it and have some more time getting used to the way that they've changed the mechanic. But the idea of being able to mark all of your enemies on the map was a really big and kind of quintessential part of Assassin's Creed and not being able to do that with your bird. I'm like, listen, I, I do really love that the way that they've changed the map and I'm sorry that I don't have specific B-roll to show you because again, I couldn't, do my gameplay specifically is that they now have like 3d markers inside the world so let's say you see a a viewpoint like a sink point where you need to climb up and you know kind of do your eagle wings thing and you know does the spin around in the world and then it sinks you can see those beacons like little like lights that go up in the sky which is really nice and you see that inside the world which is different for Assassin's Creed, but I would trade that to have the marking back. Mm. So I'm kind of bummed about that. Wait, so what do you use the bird for then? So the bird can absolutely tag locations, Uh. but when you get to the location and you pull your raven back up you can't tag specific enemies at locations. At least I was not able to in my playthrough. If that's something that you have to unlock via the progression structure, that's a different thing. And I honestly like hope that they have that built in somewhere. I'm a little disappointed. It's just not open at the beginning because as timer said well then what's the what's the <laughs> well, what's hello, the bird burp. for then, yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> so just having some cool aerial shots there you go yeah pr- pretty much um but some other impressions that i kind of wanted to go over in my gameplay session was about the idea of making alliances and forging alliances because that's a big part of the gameplay and and viking culture is this kind of tribal mentality of we have to work together? But in the Assassin's Creed narrative team, made a really big. Not I want not I don't want to say I made a really big deal, but they put a, a lot of emphasis on the fact that England during this time period had a bunch of different kings. Essentially, every different small region had its own king. It would be like. It's like Game of Thrones when everybody was just like, I'm king of this, I'm king of that. I mean, pretty much. I mean, think of like if every state had its own king. You know, yeah. that would be a lot of freaking kings. And so because of that, you have to... F- form alliances with people. And there's a whole structure about alliances. You get benefits for specific alliances and that really plays into it. And I think what it really all comes back to for me is that between the settlements where you have a seer hut, a cattle farm, a grain farm, a fowl farm, a cartographer, a fish hut, a stable and aviary, and of course a hidden ones bureau, which leads into more of the Assassin's Creed lore, plus barracks and a bunch of other stuff. I'm just like, It's so much RPG. And I don't know if I need all of that stuff in a game. (laughs) You don't. And like people (laughs) online were like, but what's bad about having so much RPG in a game? I was like, because I just, I don't need every game to be an open world RPG. I don't want that for every game that I play. And I really loved the combat in Odyssey and Origins. And I love that they're bringing back stealth mechanics. But when I was playing... They showed more of the social blending. So this was a thing that was in the early Assassin's yeah, Creed the very franchise. beginning. I
2: remember being really irritated with how much I needed to blend into a crowd and walk around with all
0: these slow people. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, if you were irritated then, Uh-oh. you're going to be more irritated now. Oh, no. Because what I found to be super frustrating is that in Odyssey, if you walked into a town and you hadn't taken down the leader in that town, the guards guards that you saw wouldn't just automatically go after you. Yeah. You would have to get really close to the restricted area for them to be like, hey, you mistios, get out of here, or whatever they would yell. The NPCs would yell at you, yeah. right? Yeah. Here, if you're in town and you haven't won over this town or you haven't formed an alliance with the king of this region and it's safe for you to be in the town, any time you see a guard, like within x amount of distance they instantly go
1: after you no
0: or you oh, have so to walk like the original really slowly oh. to like quote blend in and i was like this is gonna get annoying that's no. super why so
2: fast. i never oh. finished the original same because i was just
0: like i cannot be bothered with this, this
2: it is was a bad so mechanic.
1: annoying why would they bring it back
0: why, yeah Andrea? i I, I was very excited about some of the social blending stuff but not at the expense of the time sink it's going to cause players yeah. to have to overcome that because I, I think there's nothing wrong with having, you know, bringing stealth back. Obviously, this is a stealth action game at its core, right? That's where Assassin's Creed kind of cut its teeth. And I know that there's a lot of, like, old fans of the game that haven't played because it's gone way too, you know, kind of action adventure sure. which I understand. But I think that they... Overshot the mark, trying to swing the pendulum back to adding some stealth stuff back in, especially considering that you're a freaking badass Viking who can now <gasps> dual wield weapons, which is something we haven't but been able damn to do sneakily. before.
2: Shh. we're hunting Englanders—I don't British, I guess—is what you probably said.
0: Yeah. It's um, well, back then it wasn't—it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't that Great I don't know what. Yeah, English. They were, we're hunting they were da- Englishmen. So they were Danes. <laughs> And they were Saxtons. Ah. I wrote this down. Thank <laughs> you for the history. Lesson. Well, I mean, there's not much of a history lesson. <laughs> well, um, good enough. <laughs> so I was I was pretty disappointed in that from what I've seen. And again, like I don't want to extrapolate this to the whole game. You know, there's obviously going to be uh, an upgrade tree involved in this. I do like the way that they're kind of redesigning the tree give it a little bit more visual flair at the very least and giving some, you know, interesting upgrade options for you to kind of pick your play style. But I think overall, like, it's tough because I very much love Assassin's Creed, as everybody who listens to the show knows, but I don't know how I feel about some of these extra things that they've added on. I mean, those it seems like seem like things are bringing back. Right. It's like,
2: okay, we're <coughs> basically going to pull out some of the stuff we did before, which makes me honestly wonder a little bit about their, their vision for the franchise in general. Cause it feels like they keep flip flopping back and forth on what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously there are some core elements that have stayed true throughout, but in terms of the extremities, like you were saying, it seems like they sometimes just like wildly overcorrect in one area or, wildly add things here and there and then kind of go back on them. Um, so I think, I don't know, it seems like a little bit of confusion yeah. is happening maybe.
0: Yeah, it's it's tough because like I know that you can't please everybody, right? And that's something that I think developers deal with every time they iterate on a franchise that's as old as Assassin's Creed is and as successful as Assassin's Creed is, it kind of feels like, you know, you're never going to please the people who wanted to go back to the way it was and then the people who liked it Odyssey was, you're not going to please them all the way. I think overall, my impressions are good, and I feel better about it. I did notice that they changed a little bit about the way that your health is in combat, because when I played the first time, there was no way for me to regen health outside of picking up rations, and that was not the case this time, so I don't know if that was Again, something you have to upgrade to add or if that's like feedback they got from a lot of people who played who were like, yo, you know what's not fun? <laughs> Going into literally any battle at half health or lower because I couldn't find enough rations yeah. to go into that battle. Just because Assassin's Creed as a franchise suspends disbelief so hard in so many areas, like not taking fall damage when you jump from crazy heights, being (laughs) able to assassinate multiple people within a matter of seconds, and, you know, pulling up your mount at the drop of a whistle. You know, there's like a lot of suspensions of disbelief, which I think we as gamers are in that social contract with games to be like, we don't care if it's really realistic because that's not what we're here for for this game specifically. This isn't a Viking simulator. They literally called it the ultimate Viking fantasy. So this ah, is still a fantasy game. Like, and I wanna, you know, be sure to kind of, you know, hammer that home. And I think that hammer it home with your dual axes. Exactly. With my giant freaking <laughs> hammer. And I think like the trouble there is where do you draw the line though? What is too far fantasy and what is not? You know, like how do you balance, you know, what do we put in this game, what do we don't? And this is something we've seen a lot of developers struggle with. And I think it's really frustrating that you have such a great formula with what they've been developing with Origins and Odyssey, and I was really looking forward to them editing down what they introduced with Odyssey. And the like I talked to you about my interview with the Quest team earlier this year, they told me they were going to, and <laughs> let me tell you, I didn't trust them then, and I still don't trust that now. <laughs> Everything I saw in this game was like, here's another thing. Here's another thing. Oh, here's another thing you have to manage. Here's another thing. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that's inherently bad to offer so many gameplay systems. I'm just tired <laughs> that every game thinks that they need to be everything. everything.
1: Yeah. Yes. Not our genres anymore. Sure. So real quick, going back to the side quests, is it true that the side quests are just like little dots on the map now? That there's, I was reading about that, that there are little like blips on the map and like the bigger the blip is, the more important and more rewards you'll get for going to that location. Yes, so
0: that's oh, okay. an interesting point. So the as if that they're going to trick you into not thinking that there's a bunch of stuff to do on the map by just making it a color dot instead of you know a oh. specific icon with a name. yeah, one of the things I did appreciate though is that they showed you with a color indicator what that mission will attribute to. So there's wealth that you can get, there's mysteries and then there was a third thing. Which I'm I'm forgetting at the moment, and I apologize. But essentially, you go over to those areas, and it'll show you like, hey, if you go on this quest, this is these are the rewards you're going to get, but also it'll increase your rank in this mm. specific category. And I get that it kind of forces exploration, but like, don't force me to go explore stuff if I don't want to. Either let me play the game i the game the way I want, or or give me all of the tools. I, I just it just feels like it's so conflicted in itself, right? It's like, hey, we want you to go explore, but then we're also going to give you you know, these specific tasks. And I think that's really kind of hitting home for me playing Odyssey is that I've really struggled with Odyssey. And the reason I walked away from it and never ended up finishing it, and I'm trying to now is because the game never told me how to finish the game. There was just too many side quests in too many different areas with too many different objectives. Even the main quest line has like four sub- quests for the main story quest line
1: so i'm, like, I'm exhausted just listening to this yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> it especially
0: i mean
2: in a pandemic year i actually have very little patience for these types of things <laughs> um, not that i had a lot before honestly <laughs> but like, even more so yeah. now i'm like if it feels like a chore i really don't want to do it and the minute you i mean unfortunately for me i'm out the minute you're saying that i need to slow walk through a town like I just know I don't have even that little bit in me. I just don't have it. Yeah. Um, And that's not to say, obviously, I'm sure there's going to be so many people who will play this game and love this game and love that it has so much because, again, it's the value for your money. You can Mm -hmm. buy one game and go and just... But I don't know how many of of those people finish the game or if they're just like, hey, I've got, you know, and I got my 60, 80 hours and still don't even know where the end of this game is. So I'm good. Good to go, I guess. Like, which makes sense from a value perspective but it's just not something that i personally find a lot of um satisfaction in i guess because i i always feel bad if i don't complete a thing
1: yeah
0: yeah it's it's tough because i'm showing you guys a couple of the mini games now because now you can fish in the game as as if I need another task to go do when I'm trying to conquer England. By the way, can you stop and get me these three specific fish so I can give you this one knife Every that you've RPG been looking Go oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, there's mini games are back in an even bigger way. And, you know, mini games are part of a lot of open world RPGs. I think I just... So pretty. I mean, oh, God, the game is gorgeous. It looks beautiful. I can't wait to see it playing on the new consoles and really see it in all all of its glory because playing Odyssey just reminded me just how beautiful that game is. But I think, like, some of the chatter that we've been seeing from people is that you're either really excited about living this ultimate Viking fantasy or this era and this story about Norway... And England just does not do it for you. Also, there's. Oh my steal? God. There's Andrea, a
1: what's your Husky
2: Home
0: Okay, Andrea's ten out of ten. It's happening no. right now with the seal. <laughs> it's Andrea's this husband. This is amazing.
2: This I did not know
0: that this was in the B roll. This Andrea, is Andrea. It completely was <laughs> you and your seal husband. Oh, oh, my, oh my god! god oh my Why is god. there a seal here? Because you. just ate a ate some, sea lion, You ate <laughs> some <laughs>
2: mushrooms and now you're. There's another one balls.
0: following and following this little guy around.
2: <laughs> Must be love. <laughs> whatever this quest is, seems fucking great. So do this one if you can find it. Among the dots. You look among the dots. Uh, uh, I mean, like yeah.
0: essentially like yeah. this game is going to be, I think this game is going to be great. I really do. I think the the combat feels good. The dual wielding feels awesome. I love the way that they've brought back the deep gear customization that they had in Odyssey and having even more customizable things with your Yom's Viking and your settlement is, is great. and really makes you feel invested, but you just have to ask yourself do I have over a hundred hours to experience Assassin's Creed Valhalla? Or do I want to maybe put that time into something else that's maybe a little bit different? And I think the fact that Cyberpunk 2077 is coming out in the same month is going to be a really tough call for people. It's like, do I want to keep going with the same kind of gameplay? or Do I want to try something else? I guess you just have to ask yourself what feels better narratively to you.
2: I could see that... For me, anyway, like how I deal with a lot of anxieties that are happening lately is I I rewatch Gilmore Girls. I've seen Gilmore <laughs> Girls a fucking thousand times, right? Like I don't need yeah, to watch yeah. the show anymore. So there is a comfort in knowing what you're getting, and there's a comfort in be like, okay, I kind of know what I what to expect when I grab this game and I play this game, and hmm. maybe that will m- relax me in a certain way. If you're a big Assassin's Creed fan, so I could definitely see that being an angle for it. But yeah, I mean, there is also the alternative, like Cyberpunk is. Trying to be the game of this year for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're really angling for it, so yeah, they've definitely got their competition.
1: Yeah, that's where I'm at. Is I, uh, I've always I thought Odyssey would be the Assassin's Creed that would pull me in because of the setting, and I thought this Viking one would be the one Valhalla would pull me in because of the setting. But the reality is, I've just never been able to really get super into these games, and I think it's just kind of a fatigue. With I, I know like if you're a dork like Andrea, an Assassin's Creed dork, you know like all of the ins and outs and the changes and this and this and this. But to me, like from a very surface level, it all looks very much the same, and it looks like a very very large game, which is like you know I can't really complain about that because I don't mind large games, but. It's just knowing that the gameplay has never really hooked me and seeing what I've seen. I want to play it because I want to, you know, who knows? Maybe this will be the one. But, yeah, like you guys were saying with Cyberpunk and, you know, Yakuza and all the other games that are coming out around launch, Spider-Man, it's like I can't. I, yeah, I,
0: Call of Duty. Call of Duty. It's, there's there's, there's yeah. a lot, you know, and I and yeah. I see that Daniel Hall also wrote in calling me the Massive Assassin's Creed dork. Dork. Talking about balancing AC of old and RPG. And I don't think so far from what I've seen that they've managed to strike that balance. I think they definitely have still swung far too in the RPG lane and have lost a lot of the stealth elements. Now, maybe there's going to be again, some progression things that they unlock that make it more stealthy and bring back some of those older elements that we just didn't get to see. But um, again, my final thoughts, the game looks great. The game played great. I think this game will do really well. I just don't know if it's going to be enough to hold people's attention because, again, it just feels like they needed an editing pen to take some of these, these things out. And somebody in my Twitter feed had said, do you think that this is Ubisoft's answer to The Witcher 3? And I said, I mean, maybe. They certainly added, like, a whole dice card minigame. <laughs> certainly trying to become Gwent. but But I don't think that they're going to hit the narrative head. I think the thing that really sets The Witcher 3 head and shoulders above a lot of other open world RPGs is that those quests meant something. And a lot of those side quests told really interesting narrative tales that really tied nicely into the main campaign. And we have not yet seen that from Assassin's Creed. We've seen some really fun, wacky side quests, but nothing Seals. that felt like it had narrative <laughs> impact. So maybe that changes with this one. Only time will tell.
1: Yeah, yeah. Brittany, huh?
0: Are you ready to talk about Baldur's Gate three?
1: Oh, I am so so bald man's ready. great. Oh yeah, bald so man's s- great. Cyber and I came up with um, an alternate uh, timeline or alternate parallel universe to Baldur's Gate. And what do we call it? Bald man's great.
2: Bald man's great.
1: Bald man's great. You know, like a but
2: not like he's great. Like, no, a, like a great. G R A T E.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's this epic like a saga. Cheese great uh, yeah. or a great
0: on the floor that you
1: or wanna, like, go plot into. twist yeah. is it about a bald man who grates cheese? Into cheese a sounds delicious. Let's I know not it does talk sound like really good mm. cheese, mm-hmm. but we di- we digress. I'm okay, very so hungry. I talked a little bit. I know me too. My ramen's almost here. <clears throat> we talked. I talked a little bit about this last week, but because the build I had played last week was kind of you know very buggy, it was like an early access of the early access. I decided I would wait until this past weekend and this week to hop back in and play it on Stadia because I had played it originally on Steam. Sad to report that playing on Stadia was a less than ideal experience and that the build on Stadia was more broken than the one on Steam. Oh no, that's such a bummer. I'm sorry to hear that. I know it's it is a bummer because I obviously it's easier to develop patches for Steam and so that's where like the patches are going first, but they are being pushed to Mac and Stadia just at a slower pace. just to chat a little bit more about it um for those of you who don't know this is Baldur's Gate 3 it is being developed by Larian Studios you've heard me talk about Larian a lot specifically when it comes to Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2 so Baldur's Gate 3 takes place 100 years after Baldur's Gate 2 and for reference the very first Baldur's Gate came out in 1998 so this series has been around a hot minute um And you are essentially infected with a tadpole in your head and you have to try to get it out before it turns you into a mind flayer, And that is the task. And so the early access encompasses act one, which can, which is supposedly 20 or so hours, and I've maybe played like eight hours if you want to count my progress in the first Baldur in my first try on Steam, and then in Stadia I maybe played like four hours. Then Jason or like we can't we can't do it between and we ran into this issue with Orcs Must Die Three between the leg because um, you know two Stadias at once and it was just unplayable at some points. The bugs were really bad, which is to be expected. It's early access, so I'm not knocking the game for that. But my overall like takeaway from Baldur's Gate Three and what I think we can expect is. That this definitely feels like a layering game through and through in the sense that it's all about player choice and you can approach a situation how you want. For example, if you come across a locked door and you don't have the key, you can spend a few minutes beating it down until you can break it and then like proceed through. Or, you know, if you come across an enemy. So here's an example. Jason and I came across an enemy when we were playing on Steam and I spent probably 10 minutes trying to get all the perfect roles and so I can ask this mind flare all of these questions and get all the lore out of it I could and then when we pl- played it on Stadia I just sliced its head off I'm like I don't want to listen to you and then I
2: moved on I already know your stories and quite frankly they weren't that good <laughs> exactly
1: yeah and of course like there's consequences of that there's another situation where there's a poor little gnome that's stuck to a windmill and it's just going around and around and around and you can free the gnome or you can accidentally do what I did which is speed up the windmill and then you catapult the gnome into oblivion it lands into a bloody spot on the ground and then you can never get your reward from it again so there's so many different ways you can play this game. You can piss off your party members to the point where they leave your group. I believe you can even kill your party members if you choose to. And that's a, kind of what's fun, been fun about playing in this early access is I make decisions I normally wouldn't make, you know, because I usually like to be like the good person and bring everyone together. But in this one, I'm like, fuck it. All of you need to die. Wow. Um, so how many party members have you killed? I haven't killed any yet because I didn't get that far. But I did. Oh, okay, um, okay. The, t- the few party members I did recruit were very, very attractive. And there is romance in this game. Uh, oh, so so you didn't want to kill them because you were like, hey. I got to hey. get. Wicked
0: bone.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I got to get that from them first. And then they, they can become cinder in my campfire. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, it's fine. It is what it is. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, through and through, like I said, it feels like a Larian game in that sense. The biggest difference, and I got a question from. Mitch Crasson, who asks, all right, what is the biggest differences between Baldur's Gate 3 and Divinity Original Sin 2? Having only played three hours of Divinity Original Sin 2, they look super similar to me from the outside looking in. And I agree with you, Mitch, because this was something I actually brought up to Larian during the preview event, which I believe was in February. That was the last preview event I ever went to pre-COVID. Wow. And- I know, I'm so Seems sad like about it. like a million years ago. Mm-hmm. And that was my oh, first sure impression, does. too, was this looks, and I brought this up to the team, I said, this looks very much like Divinity Original Sin, Granite's on a new engine, and when you have intimate conversations with these characters, you know, you're actually looking at them through the eye, it's not like from a top-down isometric view. So, like, oh, it's nice. pretty, yeah, it's really pretty, it reminds me a lot of, like, the Dragon Age conversations you'd have back mm. in the day, yeah. Like
2: OG Dragon Age, like Dragon Age Origins? Yeah, like Dragon
1: Age Origins, Okay, where mm. you have, like, the list of things, yeah. Um, You're at a
2: camp, and like, do yeah. you do you get to have? Actually, you know, yes. Like some your main naked, hub, some sexy Yankee yes. times
1: summer. Yes, because you have your camp. Because this is fifth edition D and D rules, so you do have to go to your camp to sh- take a short rest. And when you do, I believe that's when all like the personal. Interactions with the characters come out where you can talk to them a little bit more. Maybe some people will have be having a conversation off on the side. So, yeah, that's kind of like your hub. I'm assuming that's nice. where you'll get to bang people. Noise, noise, noise. Yeah. But that was my first impression anyway. And the team was like, we don't really like that. And, and at the time, I was like, of course you don't like that, but that's what it looks like. So, sorry, don't know what to tell you. But now that I've played it, I think that's a fair assumption. But when you do play it, they do have these, these fifth edition D&D rules, which really dramatically change up a lot about. Um, how this game fundamentally works for example when you have the combat you know in divinity original sin you have like 10 15 action points and you can do whatever you want with those points whether you want to move drink a bunch of potions or attack or do how many spells you want but in this you have one action one bonus action and you can move and that's okay so that's
2: it. kind of like what yeah so when we play dnd that's exactly
1: how we play exactly summer yeah definitely so when you in the combat, it feels very different. Um, not to mention when you're making choices or trying to like do a persuasion check or an insight, whatnot. You know you have to roll, and your little D twenty pops up on your screen, and then you click it, and then you roll, and it's actually really fun, and it is pretty uh, anxiety inducing because you really want to get that roll, and then you you're miss like, I it. I want to know if he's lying because this is all I want in life. Exactly. I want insight checks to be real. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, if only, right? would that be only?
2: amazing?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that'd be so great. And what's nice about it too is when you, and this is kind of actually kind of, a, it's a nice thing, but it's also kind of leads me into like something that I think people are going to have a problem with is if you're not familiar with D&D rules, and I mean, I'm not outside of our PAX convention role um, sessions we do. I you have to know, like, okay what's armor class? What what's a saving throw? Like, how does this work? If I'm a wizard, do I want to use intelligence or charisma? And those are some of the things we kind of Or wisdom. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. But those are the things we struggled with, um, especially playing on Stadia, because when you played on Steam, you know, you could just hover your little cursor over the terms. And thankfully, like they all generally have a pop up and they're like, this is what this means, you noob. And they're like, okay thanks. But when you're playing on Stadia, it wasn't very um, intuitive to try to figure that out. So, anywho, um, other than that, I feel like I was going somewhere else with that, but I'll just pivot to this other point I want to make. Another way it feels different is that I feel like Divinity in 1 and 2, kind of have, original 1 and 2, had this sense of, this humor, this, like, silliness, this quirkiness, it never took, the game never took itself too seriously, and obviously, this is Baldur's Gate, it's a very, very, very different IP, so I would say, like, while there is some quirkiness to the game, um. Just remember, and this is something I have to constantly remind myself: is that this is a different IP. This is not Divinity original sin, yeah. and it feels, yeah, much more darker, a little bit more mature. Although I did walk in on an ogre and a bugbear banging.
2: Amazing! It so was they're pretty great. Like, We're still gonna have fun with it, but just to whatever ex- degree we can. Yeah, it's just a different it tone to something else.
1: Exactly, and I think so far from what I played, like they're doing really good. They're on the right track. Sounds like this game is gonna be in early access for at least a year. And I think that's fine. I mean, clearly, you know, it needs it's it big needs games, the time. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's tradition of Larian to do this—to put it in early access and then you know pull their community and be like, "What do you like? What do you don't like?" But it sounds like they got a little too many signups, and now there's a little small community is a very large community, and they're having some trouble juggling it. But it's a good problem did, to have. Did how you? did they not? How did they not anticipate that though? They're I- a very humble studio. They really are. Yeah. They're just like yeah. They seem like nice people.
0: Oh, they, they of are. course they're great people. But I mean, when you're working with something like Baldur's Gate that has such a legacy to it, not to mention just how giant the D and D community is today True. compared to where it was even a couple of years ago. I mean, you gotta expect the nerds are like, Give me the Robin.
2: I guess, <laughs> Brittany,
0: if if you feel like if you haven't played a
2: Baldur's Gate before, would you walk into this game and be like what the
1: fuck is going on oh yeah absolutely okay. absolutely yeah and i mean it's the same thing like what i have on my side is that i've played shit tons of divinity right and so i get how the game is supposed to work i get what you're supposed to do sometimes i just struggle with how do i do that because the this fifth edition D rule set is obviously much different than divinity so Divinity obviously has a really high learning curve, and I think Baldur's Gate is also going to have a high learning curve. But I think that Larian has some good steps in place to kind of... There actually isn't much of a tutorial to speak of. There's, like, a little bit of it. But again, it all comes kind of down to that D&D jargon that you're just going to have to learn, like, what does this mean? How do I do this? Especially if you've never played um, a tabletop game before. Yeah. But, yeah. I think
2: I was more talking about, like, story elements. At least of what you've played so far. Obviously, you've, like, scratched the surface on this game, but...
1: Okay, yeah. So no, good question. Um, it's it's fine. If you've never played a Baldur's Gate game before, you'll be perfectly fine. If, even though it does take place 100 years after Baldur's Gate 2, I think that's more going to appease the fans with probably some like references that you and I wouldn't get, right? We would just sure. think, oh, that's a story plot. But someone out there would be like, oh my god, that's so cool. <laughs> and we'll just think it's like a thing. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's totally fine. The only place I think you'll get stuck is if you're like, what's a mind flare? What's an illithid or whatever it's called? Or mm. what's this? What's that? And I think, and I think there's going to be a codex. I don't know if there is already, but even just going to Larian's. <laughs> oh, codex. <laughs> uh, yeah. Remember those things? I lo- actually love those things. But um, yeah, I think that's the only issue you're going to have. It's like, what is this creature? What does this mean? What does it mean if I have a tadpole in my head? What the hell is a mind flare? <laughs> what, what's like this big I, it thing? sound
2: good. I don't think you want anything in your head that's not supposed to be there. No,
1: it's you, you really I mean, don't. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but so far I think it's shaping up to be really good. I just think I'm gonna step away for a bit. I don't know if I'll, I don't know if I'll play it before the main release again because I mean it's a yeah. 20 hour chunk of time in a, you know in a year. Hopefully I'll be able to play the full thing. But yeah, so that's exciting. So yeah,
2: yeah I mean is. you got me excited for it, even though I I definitely will not touch this until it's like done done.
0: Yeah, don't <laughs> and released. <laughs> yeah, I think that I, that's that's not that's not a bad call. I would guess most players are that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, I totally... Uh, I respect what
2: you're doing here with your early release, and I respect anybody who wants to do that, but
0: that is not a me thing. Nope. nope. All right, well, thank you for that report. One final question. Does
1: this make you want to play more actual D&D? Yeah, well, I mean... It makes me want to play it with that little group we've been playing with, which has been really yes. fun. Yeah, right? live Jen.
0: Shout out to our dungeon yeah. master.
1: I think if it was more accessible, I would because I really do enjoy that. But it's, you know, what do you do unless you do? I guess do like what a Zoom D and D session? D and D online, yeah. it's a thing. Yeah, D and D online, yeah.
0: I miss She's that. He's offered to walk us through making our characters online. We just gotta take him up on it. I know. I always I feel so bad. I'm just like I can't I can't think about it right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Block off like eight hours in a day. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I just, uh, it will be what
2: ha- happened before, where I have zero creativity with my character. I'm like, I don't know. She's a. Like, after World, uh, she
0: shoots arrows. Maybe maybe <laughs> in <shoots> December <laughs> when things slow down, like after Game Awards. Yeah. And we're not dealing with console launches and new games coming out and preview events and everything that comes along with it. So yeah. that could be nice. I would like to get our merry band back together again. I mean, those <laughs> assless chaps.
1: Oh, oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. And my little leather harness with the spikes mm-hmm. all over it. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. That whole dance club scene that happened. Oh yeah. That was thrilled them. That was a thing. That was a it was- thing. All right, that is going to do it for our hands-on segment. When we come back, we have a very special interview, which also features tabletop gaming. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. It's the final segment of the What's Good Games podcast. And this week is brought to you by Bespoke Post. This fall, as you get back into the swing of things, Bespoke Post has brand new seasonal Box of Awesome collections for guys, gals, and everybody in between, guaranteed to upgrade your life. Some of our favorite past Box of Awesome items, you guys probably remember, we've got the famous Moscow Mule mugs, I've got my desk set, all kinds of fun stuff, like Brit's whiskey glasses, but... If you guys have been craving a little bit of upgrade in your life, well, maybe it's time to upgrade your autumn craft beers. Or maybe you want to get some cozy threads for when those temperatures start to dip. They're certainly not dipping here in California with 100 degrees today. (laughs) Mm. But winter is right around the corner, everybody, and Bespoke Post is going to be there to send you the best stuff every month no matter what you're into. Box of Awesome has you covered from style and grooming goods to barware, cooking tools, and outdoor gear. Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. Some of their latest boxes of awesome on their website have some really cool things like the Over Easy Box has Mm. an awesome pancake skillet for those weekend breakfasts, or the Alchemy Box speaks to the bartender in me with that awesome silicone giant ice cube mold. You know you've wanted those for a long time. Whether you guys are intrigued by these or maybe some other part of your life, you guys can get started. you got to take the quiz at boxofawesome.com. Your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up. You can skip a month or cancel anytime. Each box costs only 45 bucks but has over $70 worth of gear inside. To get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up, you've got to go Go to boxofawesome.com and enter our special What's Good Games code that's code WGG at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, code WGG for 20% off your first box. For the feature segment this week, we have a very special interview with a friend of mine, the CEO and founder of Nerdvana Games, Christy Pitchford. Christy is based in Frisco, Texas, and she opened a coffee shop called Nirvana and then expanded into a restaurant. In the midst of running that restaurant, she also decided, I don't have enough going on. Why don't I start a tabletop publishing branch called Nirvana Games? And she sat down with me to talk to me about their upcoming launch of Bunkers and Badasses. If you have played Borderlands 2, you guys know about Tiny Tina, and the game of D&D, or the knockoff of D&D, we should call, um, called Bunkers and Badasses, and they have now turned it into an official tabletop game that is being published by Nerdvana Games. And I had the opportunity to talk to Christy about not only Bunkers and Badasses and the game that they are developing, which is up for pre-order, but also about running a restaurant in the pandemic and the stresses of both running a restaurant and a game publishing business during COVID-19 times. And it was a really great conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy. What's good, everybody? Andrea Renee here with a very special interview and a very special guest. Please welcome Christy Pitchford to the show. She is the CEO and owner of Nerdvana Games and a personal friend of mine. Christy, it's so good to see
3: you. Hi, so great to see you. It's great to be here. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so glad that we got to speak on What's Good Games because you have been doing some incredible work in the gaming scene that not a lot of people probably know about that aren't big into tabletop. And so I wanted to chat with you about everything that you've been building at Nerdvana and, of course, talk about your upcoming game, Bunkers and Badasses, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Me and some friends who were visiting uh, Texas for... QuakeCon, actually. got to see the restaurant side of Nerdvana, which is now an all-in-one restaurant gaming coffee shop experience, uh, right before you guys launched. And I have to say, it was some of the best custom cocktails I've ever had.
3: (laughs) Yeah, we put a lot into our cocktails. Like, we're, I mean, obviously you know, one of the things that we we talk about with Nerdvana on any level, whether it's the kitchen or the games or uh, anything, is we're all nerds, right? So we're nerds about whatever we're nerdy about. And uh, our mixologist at the time, who's now my GM because she's just this ass kicker and she's you know, runs circles around the restaurant and, and you know, has sort of taken it by the horns, uh, she made all those drinks. And, you know, she is a cocktail nerd, like deep in. She understands liquor and, you know, flavor profiles and stuff. So she's really the, the force behind those amazing drinks.
0: I feel like we need to all get together because I feel like she and I would have a lot of things that we yes. could talk about that we would have in common as a former bartender and lover of spirits myself. Um, That sounds awesome. She sounds cool. What's her name?
3: She's amazing. Kathy Brown. She is amazing. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, shout out to you, Kathy.
3: We were able to create such a bespoke experience because we were able to put so much time into it. And because we are truly gaming nerds. We are truly the culture that we were, you know, not just targeting, but celebrating, because we we are a restaurant for everybody, and we, and we do, you know, we make a point of being incredibly inclusive. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like we're not trying to um, belittle nerd culture. I don't know if that makes sense. Where it's yeah, really absolutely. Like- Celebrating it and like, look at this gorgeous art that we can do that isn't just a game poster on the wall. It's actually art that has just been inspired by video games or experiences, drinks that were inspired by video games. And, you know, so every, I mean, we've put it into the bones of the restaurant, every aspect of the restaurant from food to layout to the experience when you walk in the door is to celebrate that and to, um, to, you know, honor this industry that we love so much.
0: That's what I think is so great about what you guys have done with Nirvana. It definitely feels authentic. It has that, Ring of truth of people who are passionate and nerdy about all the things that the community is nerdy about as well. And obviously, yeah, and it led you to develop Nirvana games. So, you, that's right. you're like, In you know what?
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, you were so, like, I don't have uh, enough where? stress on my plate running this restaurant business. Why don't I do a game publishing business on top of that? <laughs>
3: You know, it's funny because I was sitting in the restaurant by myself, probably doing, you know, accounting crap. And uh, Nolan, so my, you know, I don't, my partner in crime, my right hand, everything, Nolan Lee, uh, he was somewhere, I think he was up in our office on the fifth floor. And I remember texting him and saying, hey, what if, what if we started a board game company? <laughs> and it was just like, just this random, you know, like I was sitting there thinking, you know, I I don't want to just sit here doing accounting. Like I, I really want to be creative again. And within a month, I think we knew what game we were making and we knew what trajectory we were taking. And so, um, you know, it really stems from, you know, Nolan and I play a lot of board games together. We talk about board games a lot. It was just sort of a natural progression for us. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to compete and go into video games. And I've done that for 20 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> so this was like the natural thing of like, I want to be creative. I want to make games. This is, this is a good way to, to sort of do it in, in, you know, sort of a bite-sized piece. And we partnered with a company called XYZ out of Chicago, they had this fun little robot game and so we, you know, we talked to them we met them at Gen Con and we talked to them and we were like hey, what if we rebranded this as a Borderlands IP game and so we ended up doing um, Tiny Tina's Uh, robot tea party and what was so great about it
0: oh look at that (laughs) I have it here (laughs) for everybody who's watching at youtube.com slash what's good games this is what it looks like this is the copy that you gave me at PAX
3: oh amazing yeah yeah so it was you know what's great about it is we were able to do the entire thing in about four months and it was great the XYZ guys were great they you know they talked us through a lot of things and they were great partners to have. We wanted to do something that we could launch and have available when Gearbox announced Borderlands 3. And, and that was a very short window. And, and so we did and we had it available at uh, PAX when they announced and it was, you know, it was so much fun and it was such a neat experience. And uh, and then it was, it was really at that PAX, where we were like, okay, this is, this is really cool. And this is really fun. You know, let's figure out what we're going to work on next and, and, you know, what we want to do after the success with Tea Party and really just our ability to make that happen. Um, you know, Gearbox licensing was like, Hey, reached out and said, do you guys want to take on bunkers and, Badasses? and you know, it wasn't really. Yes, the answer was yes. yes. Obviously, yes, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We and Nolan, our team of two, yes, we are going to do this. Yes, so uh, you know, we we fortunately, you know, we we were we met with Leader Games, and Leader Games does, you know, these incredibly award-winning uh, board games. They did Root and and Vast, and you know, it's amazing. Um, company. And we were talking to them about stuff. And, you know, we we mentioned that, hey, you know, I think we're going to do bunkers of badasses. And they were like, yes, please. And so we ended up, you know, working a lot with them um, with, uh, you know, they introduced us to, it happened, and then it happened really, really fast. And so that's how we ended up working on Bunkers and Badasses. It wasn't like we were like, you know, Nirvana, we're going to be the the Borderlands board game company. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we were absolutely not going to not do it.
0: Yeah. Well, I so, mean, there's nothing
3: wrong with starting with what you know. We wanted to make an RPG. We wanted to honor all of the amazing canon of Bunkers and Badasses. But we wanted to make an RPG that... Maybe people that maybe aren't super into RPGs would be comfortable playing, that they wouldn't be intimidated by a rule book and, uh, you know, um, it wouldn't feel overly uh, rule heavy. So we we decided to tackle our own game system. And uh, so some of the things that we did, you know, we kind of did a simplified version of an RPG, but... We threw in so much fantastic, fun things that people have come to expect from Borderlands. You know, there's guns, there's lots of guns. So, as much as this is an RPG, this is an RPG with guns. And, you know, we also, uh, you know, we implemented things that are, you know, really, really fun about Borderlands. Like, we have this badass system, right? Where you can you know, when you're doing, uh, an action in maybe in an encounter in combat, you know, you could take your action, you could shoot, you can, you know, do whatever with a badass move, you can go over the top. Like you can, whatever crazy scenario you can think of to, uh, you know, get an edge on an enemy. You know, if you want to, you know, do like a traverse up in the air and jump flip upside down and shoot backwards, you know, while your teammate, you know, boosts you up, you know, leverages you up or whatever. I mean, the, the, fun thing about the badass system is you can really stretch the imagination. And it's, you know, it's a cooperative thing. So you can do a solo badass move, or you can pull your friends into this badass move and do something, you know, really, really fun. And then it kind of becomes up to the BM, the bunker master to decide, is this really badass? Is this too badass? Can this be pulled off? And I think it adds an element of, you know, hilarity that I think Borderlands fans are really going to like. And, and RPG fans, I think, are going to really like.
0: I think it sounds super fun. I always loved Tiny Tina's addition to the Borderlands roster of kooky, weird characters. And I'm clearly that alone. A lot of people love her as a character. And, like, the game, when it made its debut, you know, I think a lot of people were really interested in. And obviously, you guys are making that come to life in in Tabletop 4, But I have to ask, if people out there love tabletop but aren't familiar with the Borderlands universe, are they going to be lost? What's the easiest way for someone who is not familiar with Borderlands lore to get into bunkers and badasses?
3: I don't think it's necessary. I think, so one of the things that we we sort of... I I don't want to say lucked into, but it was kind of lucked into is we got Anthony Birch as our lead writer. And for those of you that don't know, Anthony Birch wrote, you know, Borderlands 2, and he's been a huge part of the Borderlands franchise. Uh, In fact, you know, Tiny Tina is his sister, Ashley, she voices it. And so, you know, he is in, you know, intimately familiar with, with Tiny Tina. And so, I think being able to, you know, have his writing talents on this, I think it pulls people in. The writing is so it's there's so much humor in it. Um, I don't think it's necessary to understand uh, the Borderlands franchise because I think the, the product stands on its own. I think the source book stands on its own. What I what I hope is if somebody gets it who hasn't played Borderlands and goes, Wow, Tina's great, this is funny, this is all great, and then is like, well, now I have to play, I have to play the video games.
0: One of the fun parts about tabletop in general also is that it's kind of a learning experience together. I mean, one of my most awkward but most fun tabletop experiences was the first time I played Dungeons and Dragons, which obviously Bunkers and Badasses is a riff on. Right. And I've talk. i talked about it on What's Good all the time. And shout out to Lucigen, our Dungeon Master, who invited us to play at PAX um, however many years ago it was now. And that was the first time I'd ever played Dungeons & Dragons. I'd played the board game as like a kid, but I'd never actually done the RPG with friends as an adult. And it completely changed how I thought about that game and how I thought about the community around D&D and tabletop in general. I was like, you know what? I should... I should be playing more tabletop. Like, this is really fun. And I don't know, I still to this day, I'm in like my fifth or sixth play session and I've done a little bit of external research, but I still don't know what half the things mean in D&D. But it doesn't stop me from having a good time.
3: I think what's super um, ex- makes RPGs so accessible is there's rules and then it's an RPG. So you can throw out the rules or you can bend the rules or you could stretch or you could, you know, I mean, the the whole point is, are you having fun? Is it fun? You know, do the things that are are really fun. As we've been developing this game, whenever we come up with a rule set or we come up with some new um, mechanic or whatever, you know, sometimes you kind of get in a tunnel where you're just like, do the numbers work? Does it balance all these? And then we kind of, throughout the whole thing, we've oh, you know, we take a step back and go, yeah, but is it fun? Is it fun to do? Are the players going to have fun? And, you know, because that's the beauty of an RPG. I mean, there are certainly a lot of tabletop games that are, um, you know, very specific, rule based, and those are fun too, and those can be really great. With an RPG, it's, you know, it, it's it's about role play. It's about sinking into your characters and getting into the, the, the campaigns and the story and the environments. And, you know, so I think because of that, Borderlands is such an incredible um, sort of world to envision in an RPG because it's, it's so playful. It doesn't take itself seriously and it can, you can bend it in so many ways and it, you know, which has been really, really fun for us. We've come up with stuff where we're like, maybe that's too crazy. And then we'll go to gearbox and they'll be like, no, it's fine. Like you can, that's, go crazy. And that's been really, really awesome.
0: I can't even imagine what the bar for too crazy in the Borderlands universe
3: actually <laughs> looks like. We haven't hit it, so I don't know that it exists. <laughs> Good. We've never been told that. So. We need a
0: little wild and weird in our lives, particularly right. in, in this day and age and everything that's happening in the world, which is for something sure. I also wanted to chat with you about. As an entrepreneur who is working on multiple businesses that have been affected by the pandemic, what are some of the challenges that you have faced and what are some of the things that you've been able to overcome that maybe surprised you?
3: One big challenge is getting, making sure that everything has been, you know, play tested and balanced and stuff has been an incredible challenge for us. Um, fortunately we have, uh, access to, um, you know, our partnership with Leader Games and fortunately, this may not shock you, but there are some crazy RPG nerds at Gearbox. No, who you don't say. I know, <laughs> have, have happily uh, given us their, you know, their opinion, whether we wanted it or not. And so uh, <laughs> so that's been incredibly helpful, actually, as well. You know, getting, being able to bring people in and, and play test the game, we were like, this could, should be so easy. But, you know, with the pandemic, it's just like, oh, turns out you know, nobody wants to to put themselves in harm's way, myself included. I think one of the things that that has surprised me the most, maybe hasn't surprised me, but maybe has, you know, been sort of nice is, you know, with the restaurant, you know, I have a huge restaurant. It's 10,000 square feet. You know, we can see it almost up to 300 people. It's, it's a really big place and it requires a, a big staff and You know, it's been really incredible to see our staff come together and support each other and not just in, um, you know, ways that, that you would expect, but in ways of, you know, it's, there's a lot of emotional support happening with our staff as well. That's just been incredible, you know some of our staff, the only time they ever see people is when they come to work, you know, because they they then go back and, and quarantine and and stuff. And so them being able to sort of stay after and have a drink together at the bar and, you know, sort of uh, unwind and, and support each other has been, you know, has been incredible. I think as much as it's been heartbreaking and difficult to have a restaurant during this time, um, I think being able to offer a community space has been really, really great. Like that's been awesome to, to be able to have, because if not for that, I mean, the, in the time that we were closed, um, you know, our staff, they were messaging each other and it's like, you know, when can we see each other? When can we come in? When can we, you know, because they were isolated and, you yeah, know, absolutely. it's such a terrifying situation and so new for all of us. And, you know, I have, a lot of young people that I employ and you know, I can't imagine being in my twenties and going through such a world changing. I mean, I feel like as an older human, I can kind of be a little bit calmer about things, but you know, I it's because when a year of your life is disrupted at 20, it's very different than a year of your life disrupted at 40 and we have systems in place, right? Like we kind of know how to, to take care of ourselves in a different way. Like, I don't know. It's just different. It's been it's been uh, (sighs) crazy, to say the least.
0: It's just one of those really tough times that it really makes you appreciate the communities that we have that really rally around us, whether that be your tabletop group or your video game group, or maybe you did bar trivia and you're doing Zoom trivia now. (laughs) You know, I think that those communities are really at the heart of what is holding us together, the glue to keep us from breaking right now.
3: Absolutely, I think just the fact that, and you know, I, there's so many um, sort of softwares that have cropped up to to sort of aid in that. You know, tabletop softwares that you know they're really trying to to you know open avenues to you know get people together. I'm sure Discord didn't realize how popular they were going to be this year, and you know, I mean, whether it's uh, you know video games or or tabletop software it once you get used to it if you're not used to playing you you quickly realize oh I'm still socializing with the people that I my friends and the people I care about and you kind of forget the interface you kind of because you start having fun with the game you start enjoying the the things you really loved about tabletop or you know a particular game or even a video game and you you know it's a way to kind of forget that we're, we're sort of all in this crazy, crazy world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're just like, Oh yeah, this, it's just me and my friends in this game and that's it. And the rest of it kind of fades off. And, you know, so it's just a, it's such a great respite from all of it.
0: Absolutely. Well, Chrissy, I could just sit and chat with you for hours because I just love talking to you and, and hearing about all the cool things that you're working on. but I want everybody listening to know if they want to get more information about bunkers and badasses. It's up for pre-order right now, right?
3: It is. It's up for pre-order um, and you know what we're you can get it at nirvanagames.com. So head over there there's more information we have the source book and then we have the limited edition that has all the cool stuff in it uh, the mini figures that of course you you know you'll recognize from from borderlands and you know we have these you know cool maps and gun cards and you know it, it comes with a ton of really really awesome stuff but it's available right now at, at nirvana games.com and you know hopefully we're uh, we're about to, that print trigger real soon oh that's
0: exciting I know yeah
3: yeah very nice home stretch
0: stretch. so I want to end our little chat with asking you one final question if there's people out there that are interested in getting into tabletop creation learning more about what it takes to make a tabletop game do you have a piece of advice or a lesson learned that you could share with them
3: You know, one of the beautiful things about the board game community and tabletop is that, you know, pre-non-pandemic world, you know, there's these great meetups that happen all the time, all over the country, really all over the world, where people can, you know, bring their prototypes to play. And, you know, I find that this community is very kind and generous with um, their thoughtfulness on, on giving you advice and, and on game design and and things like that. I feel like it's a, a very inclusive community. Um, but I mean, as with anything, and this is what I tell people, you know, when I have parents that are like, how can my kid get into making video games, which I've been asked for 20 years, I always say the same thing is they should just do it. They should just make games and, you know, whether it's using, you know, uh, you know, a simple software that you find game software online with tabletop, just, just make a game, you know, use whatever you, you know, whatever you have access to or whatever and come up with your ideas and then just start showing people and getting people to play. And, you know, the hardest thing about doing anything really is just doing it and completing it and feeling what it's like, whether it's, it's, um, you know, ends up being the the most amazing game or not, having that feeling of what it takes to start something and finishing it is so valuable, especially the finishing it part. Because, you know, for anybody that's creative and cares, nothing feels ready or good enough, right? You always want to do a little more, tweak it a little more, pick it a little more. So having that experience when the stakes are really low, where you just go, it's done, I'm calling it right here. And, you know, I think that's what I would say. I would say make games. If you want to make games, you should absolutely make games.
0: That's awesome advice. It echoes a lot of what I tell people when they're like, how do I make content online? I'm like, you you can. You can do it right now. Mm -hmm. Just start Mm -hmm. today. Nothing's stopping you. It's the beauty of where we're at technologically. So, uh, Chrissy, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today about your project. It's It's so good to see you. Delightful. Uh, I am very much looking forward to playing this game, and hopefully we can do it in person at some point in the not-too-distant yeah. future. But until then, we yeah. will remain thousands of miles away from each other. <laughs>
3: Correct. <laughs> I know, you're closer to my kid. <laughs> oh Yeah, we're,
0: we're about 100 miles <laughs> apart, probably. <laughs>
3: um,
0: but thanks again, and everybody, if you yeah. want to learn more about Bunkers and Badasses, again, it's nerdvonagames.com thank you again to Christy for making time to chat with me about Nirvana games and publishing in tabletop and working during COVID. What I thought was really interesting from our conversation was her talking about how welcoming the tabletop community is because I think the three of us have absolutely experienced that ourselves uh, going to PAXes and such and really having that camaraderie. It's such a bummer that so many of the tabletop IRL meetups have been canceled. In fact, I think all of them have been canceled. And doing that kind of interaction over Zoom calls or Skype or what have you is just not quite the same. But the tabletop community is, is hanging in there. So thank you again to Christy. And again, if you guys want to learn more about Bunkers and Badasses and the pre-orders and all the different versions that they have, you can check the show notes for the link down below. And that's going to do it for our show for this week. Brittany, what are you going to do this weekend?
1: <sighs> I don't know, Andrea. I really don't know. Maybe I'll play Genshin Impact. Ooh, I've heard a lot of people I've, are playing that game. I've actually put some time into it. Not enough where I can talk about it, but it's uh, for a free-to-play game. It's very impressive.
0: I don't know, man. Don't, next. <laughs> She's like, I'm sleeping. Leave
2: me
3: alone.
0: Yeah. Well, we hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Thank you so much for hanging in there. We're excited. At this time next week, we will be publishing our 200th episode of What's Good Games. So we hope that you are going to be excited for that with us. And don't forget on Monday, Chelsea Blasco is on the show. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye.